my best recommendation for people that are planning on betting this is go big now because you don't know what the future holds. Welcome to Props and Hops, a podcast pursuing the best in betting and beer. I'm your host, Matt Landis, and this week our plug-and-play NFL Draft betting series continues with pro better Hitman. Hitman's arguably the best better in the world when it comes to markets like this, so I think it's a safe bet that he'll be padding his bankroll at least a little bit through the NFL Draft, and safe to say he's also padding his lead in terms of most Props and Hops guest appearances to date. Hitman, welcome back to Props and Hops. Nice to be on. It's been a while. It, um, towards the end of when we last did this in February, it's kind of like I can't wait for the season to end. I'm starting to get the, the bug a little bit to, to get back rolling into everything. So the draft is good. It'll keep me busy for the next week and a half. And then I got a pretty long layoff of, as far as originating goes. I'm still betting stuff like NBA playoffs, but the originating got a big layoff until uh, – the preseason rolls around, but um, I'm, I'm almost ready to go. I miss it. And I'd imagine the layoff between the Super Bowl and really digging into the draft was a bit longer than you may have anticipated. I'll kick this off with an obligatory question, albeit with a fun twist at the end. But the omnipresent narrative around this draft betting cycle is that the market has been pretty surprisingly scarce and slow to develop. It has started to come to life recently. More books posting more offerings. But I think as you kind of shared through the lens of Seinfeld earlier today on Twitter, betters may be behooved to choose wisely. You had a nice parallel in a tweet between the Seinfeld Spongeworthy episode and the draft betting market. I'd love it if you could elaborate on that and make that connection between what might be Spongeworthy for Elaine Bennis and what might need to be draft worthy for the betters out there. Yeah, so I, I got involved in the draft stuff as far as betting it a little late it's probably been like in the last like seven ish days has been when i've really started to ramp up action more and it was just early in the process a lot of it is the fact that one a lot of the shops that i can get down at weren't posting stuff and the shops that were posting stuff it's shops that it's just going to be hard to get down on it without getting your accounts flagged so for me and what i think the best strategy is for anybody that has been limited at any shops and they're wondering like oh how am i going to get down on the draft or they're thinking like oh maybe i'll have a friend sign up and i could help them bet on the draft uh, partner up um i think that the best way to do it is to wait and wait until the week of or a few days before something like that to really dig into the draft. And that's been my mentality. And the, the logic behind that is the fact that these accounts, a lot of them aren't lasting long. And like, if you're going to bet, for example, three weeks out uh, of the draft and you're going to bet on a, um, let's say, first tight end, Dalton Kincaid was plus 180 at one point three weeks ago. And then he's minus 200 three weeks later. That's something that could get your account flagged and limited. And you might not make it on that account to draft week. 
And draft week is when you're going to get your best stuff. I always tell everybody that I'm betting with, Mike, listen, Thursday, which is the day of the draft, we're going to be the busiest. Then it's followed by Wednesday, followed by Tuesday, followed by Monday. Every day that it gets closer, it gets more busy. I'm having more plays. There's more, more info that comes out. So I'm trying to save a lot of my bullets for the week of the draft. And the, the closer I get, the, the more aggressive I'm going to be with action. So even like two, three, four weeks ago, there were bets at certain books that I liked. And I was like, yo, you know what? Like I, I would definitely bet this right now, but I don't know if it's worthy, if it's worth the risk for a bet, maybe a, a 57, 58% bet, but I'm, I might get my account fried and I won't be able to bet maybe the 65% plays once the week of the draft comes. So that's my best advice for people that are looking to actually get down on this is try to save a lot of bullets for the week of. And that also goes for if you're betting with credit shops, a lot of times you have unlimited credit on these sites. And I always find myself on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and especially the day of the draft, I'm like, crap, something good really came out and I'm out of credit because I was betting stuff a week or two before. So my, my best advice for people is save save some of your bullets for the day of the draft and the days leading up to the draft. You mentioned that there might have been some 58% bets that you would typically like to bet on in normal circumstances that you've passed on during this draft betting cycle. And the week of the draft, there might be bets north of 60%. How much of it is that part of the approach where bets might be good weeks out, but they could be even better from a percentage standpoint come draft week? And how much of it is less tied to the percentage of a bet hitting, but the liquidity in the marketplace, the closer we get to draft day? Yeah, it's all about getting down. Um, I would definitely bet some 57% play, 55. I'd bet 54, 55% plays weeks out if I could, and I didn't have to worry about credit or worry about getting limited, all that. But it's just not the reality uh, of this market. So, yeah, that, that's really the logic. And, like, a lot of times it's the thought process. Like, say I liked um, Bryce Young weeks ago, or maybe that's a bad example. Maybe use the Kincaid example. I could say, well, you know what? I know Kincaid might steam, and then I could just play back and bet Michael Meyer at a big price. But then that's more, more credit I have to tie up. That's more accounts that I have to use to place another bet. Like I said, maybe maybe some of these accounts, you might only have five bets until you get limited. So you're really going to use one on Kincaid four weeks out and then use another just on a on a hedge or a scalp with Michael Myers. So then you're down to three bets, theoretically, if, if five was the number that you could get on a certain account. So for me, it's just it's all about just being able to get down on it. And that's why I didn't have a draft package this year. And I know I had dozens of people that contacted me on Twitter said, I want to purchase a draft package because I went something on draft packages for clients like the last three years. It's like not even believable. I sound like Vegas Dave. If I would say my record, it it was something insane, like legitimately might've been like 27 and three. Or, or something like that. And some of those were higher juice plays laying minus 200, 300, all that, but it was something great. So a lot of people said it to me, but I have to be able to get down for myself before I can, I can share it with everyone. And because it's such a moneymaker for me and it's just impossible this year, even after I do get down, the lines are just moving so much 
and because these books are just so uh, vulnerable, they're just so afraid of the action that they're a lot of times over moving off a lot of this stuff. So it, it's a different year. And I just suspect that it's going to continue to get harder to do it. So my best recommendation for people that are planning on betting this is go big now because you don't know what the future holds. I think you made a good point in there about the fact that the juice can certainly vary across some of these bets. So one thing I don't want to overlook is when we were talking about 55, 58, 60% bets earlier, that's probably relative to the standard minus 110 juice where you're looking at a 52.4% break even probability and not to get too in the weeds on the math. But of course, if something's juiced at, you know, whatever Bryce Young is now minus 1500, if you think the odds are 55%, Please don't bet that. Think in terms of true probability as far as the odds imply. Want to make sure we cover that base. And also, Hitman, we will move on to some of the draft betting market here. And I'll try to get some good information out of you. But it sounds like for anybody who is listening to this a few days out of draft week itself, we might want to still be a little bit careful or else we won't have a square to spare come draft week. So keep that in mind. A bit of a count and mouse game throughout this whole process. And on that note, I'd love to dive into, I think it's going to be, let's call it a six-pack of bets to break down, starting with a lot of intrigue at the top of the board. Number one overall, last week we saw some significant movement on Bryce Young, and that's continued into this week from Young as a short dog to the range of minus 300 for much of last week. Now I am seeing him as high as minus 1,500. I think it's pretty safe to say the ship has sailed on anybody looking to get value betting Bryce Young to go one overall. But Hitman 2 makes this something that we can view from more of a forward-looking approach. How would you describe your process monitoring a market like this as it unfolds for number one overall pick and deciding whether to enter and how and when to go ahead and make that decision? Yeah, for me, it's, it's a little bit different than others. Uh, I tend to get the, the, the word before sometimes that the media does or anything. And I've done well with the number one pick in the, fa- in the past um, last year, I had some great prices on Trevon Walker. Um, even going to NBA draft, I had some great prices on Paolo Banchero. And I remember um, when Baker Mayfield was going to be the number one pick, uh, I was able to get some good prices. Typically, that's something that leaks to, to a lot of pro betters. So you, my mindset the entire process has just been, I'm just going to wait for the info to get leaked to me. And I'll bet it, even if I have to pay a worse price. Um, I'll be honest with everyone. I I haven't heard anything definitive on it. So I have been on the sidelines. I don't have one bet on it. I mean, it sounds like it's going to be Bryce Young. Sounds like it would be a really big surprise. If it's not, if if I get the word that, hey, it's going to be Bryce, I'll lay minus 1,500. I have no problem with that. But it, it, unless I get that information with at the current price, I'll put it like this at the current price of like minus 1200 minus 1500. I'm not betting that unless I hear that it's going to be, it's going to be him. And I haven't heard anything like that. So maybe this year I was just behind on the news and it, I, I don't make much money off of the first pick as I did in years past. But that's been my mentality with it is that pick tends to leak. And I was kind of waiting on that information, but seems like the ship might have sailed on it. So we'll see. If you might not be as involved with the first overall pick this year as you have been in years past, I think two overall is also a very curious spot. 
There are some rumors that Houston has some real interest in drafting a non-quarterback at number two. And that sounds kind of crazy to me playing armchair GM here thinking just trade the pick if there's not a quarterback you love at that spot. Will Anderson has emerged to be the betting favorite to go second overall. I'm seeing that as low as plus 150, which implies a break-even probability of 40%. And Hitman, on one hand, again, it can sound crazy for the Texans to hold on to this pick and not take a quarterback. But on the other hand, some of this information seems like it might have some legs to it. How do you go about balancing the information that you're getting versus your own personal opinion when looking at the NFL draft betting market? Yeah, my personal opinion means very little in my handicapping of it. It's more of what I'm hearing. And it's just not, it's not always like what I'm hearing from like inside sources. Trust me. Like I don't, a lot of pros, we get some information, but it's not like we get information on every pick or every player. We get a few nuggets that you could make money off of during the draft. So yeah, a lot of it's off what I'm hearing and, you know, just based off like a lot of my digging about a week ago, I thought that it was, I thought Houston would be crazy to either one, not take a quarterback or two, you have to trade that pick then at that point and trade it to a team that will take a quarterback and build up your draft capital. But, you know, I'm starting to buy in that that defensive player is a real possibility. And I didn't start to buy into that until maybe about yesterday, but I'll say it's a big switch for me. I was of the camp a week ago, as I just said, quarterback trade down. And uh, now I'm, Maybe even gun the head. I think that it's it's trade down or defensive player. But again, my opinion can change on that in an instant. It could take one text message. It could take one report that changes my mind on that. But as we stand on Tuesday night, I'm starting to think that this uh, defensive player stuff could be could be real. And it makes no sense for Houston to to say that oh we could take a defensive player. It would make all the sense in the world for the speculation to come out, oh, they, they're definitely going to take a quarterback to entice a team to trade up for that quarterback. It doesn't make much sense to smoke screen about this defensive player thing. And there's a lot of respected people that are, are talking about it. So I'm starting to get the sense that it, it could be defense at number two for Houston. Based on the importance of information in a marketplace like this, much more heavily on the scales than your own personal opinion, it's also a season of smokescreen and misinformation. So how do you go about deciphering what's signal and what's noise when we're talking about kind of perplexing dynamics like this? Just having people that I trust, whether it's people I work with or people that um, are reporting stuff and knowing what guys report legitimate info. Of course, they're never going to be 100% accurate, but you just try to see what makes logical sense maybe see if there's certain people that you respect. Maybe there's two or three of them that are reporting something similar. If they're reporting something similar, the odds of it, all two or three of them being wrong are definitely a lot less than if it's just one person. So it's all about just doing this for a while and knowing what, what to read, like having a process to it. It's kind of, it's just kind of comes with experience to, to be honest with you. I think some reading of tea leaves would also be necessary if we look at three overall. On one hand, Arizona, almost certain to trade the pick. A lot of people are talking about it as if it's a formality already, yet it's uncertain to whom the pick will go and the resulting impact of a deal if and when it happens. I know Hitman, over the course of this past NFL season, we talk seemingly on a weekly basis. I would think about so much chaos and the chance of 
seizing opportunity amidst all the uncertainty in the betting marketplace. A lot of uncertainty here with, you know, what could happen, what the domino effect could be of an Arizona trade at number three overall. And with the potential opportunity that could come out of a move like that, do you have any game plan in mind to take advantage of an Arizona trade if and when it happens? I mean, if it happens, it's for a quarterback or ex- extremely, extremely likely it's for a quarterback. So if you see it, something happens that those are the markets you're going to attack. You're going to attack all the quarterback markets. You would think CJ Stroud, if he falls at three, um, it, it would be good for Levis. It would be good for Richardson. So you would look to play pro quarterback stuff if that trade did happen. But um, I don't know if, it, you know, I mean, the, the word coming out from like a lot of respected people is that the quarterbacks are, are more highly regarded by the public than they are the NFL teams. So I, I don't know if they're going to be able to trade that pick. And then it gets, gets interesting. I, I would suppose, or I'd be very surprised if they did keep the pick that they wouldn't take a defensive lineman, whether it be Jalen Carter, Tyree Wilson, or Will Anderson. But it's just a matter if they keep the pick. I know they're going to be desperate to move it, but I'm not sure that they're going to be able to move it, to be honest. All right, so taking nothing for granted, but figuring more likely than not, if a deal happens, it's for a quarterback. I think that's a good segue to some key position groups we can get into here. And starting with the signal callers, quarterbacks taken in the first round, that prop currently lines with an over-under of four and a half. And the price is a bit scattered at the moment, but I'm seeing the over anywhere from minus 102 to plus 110 at some of the prominent U.S. regulated books. And I think the assumption here is that Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Anthony Richardson, Will Levis, all going in the first round. So that gets us to four pretty quickly. And beyond that, my first thought is this bet hinges on a guy like Hendon Hooker. In fact, I was on a VEASAN roundtable this past Sunday night with Greg Peterson and Ben Brown from Pro Football Focus. And we talked about this bet. Ben also called out Tanner McKee from Stanford, I believe, if I've done my homework correctly here. And so it's not just that it hinges on a guy like Hooker, but probably would need Hooker or somebody like McKee to go later on in the first round to get this one home. Hitman, last week, I know you said you leaned over on this prop, but that was in a price point of plus 140 or so. So as the price point has come down, I know that can affect things quite a bit. How would you say with the market movement, with any new information you've gotten, how has your point of view evolved over the past week on a potential look at quarterbacks over four and a half in the range of, let's call it like even money to plus 110-ish? I'm still not looking to do anything with it. I'll just say that I think that the hooker hype has it's a little different than some guys in the past every year there's a lot of guys that got hyped to maybe be a late first round pick and more often than not it doesn't materialize you got to see it in the past with uh sam howell um drew lock there, there's other names that i'm, I'm missing with, with it but you you see it every single year um what's his name matt corral last year was getting some hype uh malik willis all, all these guys and they end up going a lot later but it just feels different with Hendon Hooker, to be honest, just reading the tea leaves um, on a lot of these reports. So I, I'm still going to be in, I'm still going to be in wait and see mood m- mode because these quarterbacks tend to get a lot of reports about them, like from bigger name guys, like I could see Schefter, um, Jeremiah, people like that could have some reports that will really impact the betting market 
on Hendon Hooker. So I'm more in wait and see mode with um, Will Hendon Hooker going the first round. So that's my mentality on that. All right. And these quarterbacks, however many of them end up going the first round, they're going to need some guys to throw the ball to. Let's talk wide receiver betting market. A lot of steam recently on JSN to go as the first wide receiver off the board. Last week, you had said you're looking at anybody but JSN. He has steamed up even further since then. Current price is in the range of minus 280 to minus 290 on JSN to be the first wide receiver selected in the draft. So, Hitman, if there's a lot of love for him in this marketplace, are there any non-JSN favorites of yours to maybe put down a little bit of money on at the current prices? Um, it would be Jordan Addison at like seven to one-ish would be the guy because there has been some reports from respected people that at least one team has Jordan Addison as their wide receiver one. And what happens is that when you get later into the draft, there tends to be more variance as far as like the who will go first at a specific position group. Remember last year, um, I got some great prices on Quay Walker to be the first linebacker because there was just a lot of linebackers that were projected to go in the 20s, 30s, 40s, and it just leads to more variance. So if I had to play, I didn't even personally play this, but if I did have to play someone, it would be Jordan Addison that I would play as first receiver. But, yeah, I'm not looking to bet um, uh, JSN at the, the current price. It's just too high for a guy that you, you get into, like, the 21 range where the – like, the, the first receiver could go 21st or something, theoretically, possibly, to, like, the Chargers or something – and then at that point, it's kind of like just pick your flavor. Like a team like the Chargers might view JSN as a slot receiver, and they'd be like, oh, well, we already have Keenan Allen, so we're going to go for a Zay Flowers or a Jordan Addison or something like that. So for me, it's still anybody but JSN at this point. I would look to, towards a wide receiver. It would be Flowers or Addison if I had to bet something right now. And if there's a lot of variance keeping you off the wide receiver market due to what could transpire later on in the first round, if we look at cornerback, this one's probably going to be settled much earlier in the first round. And you'd mentioned liking Devin Witherspoon to go first at that position at a price point of minus 175. I am still seeing it available in that range, if not a touch better. Looks like there's some pretty wide availability for Devin Witherspoon to be the first cornerback selected minus 170 to minus 200 across much of the betting marketplace. Hitman, if this one does see some steam, would you say there's a price ceiling you have in mind, being sensitive to the fact that some bettors just get a little uneasy when we're talking about laying too much VIG, even with a bet that might have a high degree of confidence? Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm not like absolutely in love with the laying like minus 200 on it. Kind of like the 170-ish range I thought was playable uh, on Witherspoon. Um, I got some pretty good underdog prices on it a few weeks ago. That was a, a sponge worthy draft play for <laughs> me to, uh, to play that. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I think he's going to go first, but I, I would just, I would just wait on it. If you're laying more than minus 200, if it's under minus 200, I think it's still worth a play. Um, he obviously fits, he fits the lions and he fits the Raiders a lot better than Gonzalez does. And even Atlanta, at eight has talked about playing more man coverage this season. And that is where the Witherspoon fits better than, than Gonzalez. So 
I think that he he's uh, more likely to go six, seven, eight than Gonzalez is. And I like the play, but I'm not looking to go too crazy on the juice on it just yet. I think a lot of listeners might find it interesting that you had interest in this, considering it one of those few sponge-worthy plays when there were bigger plus numbers available earlier on in this cycle, and now even up to about minus 200, you're still on board with the play. I mean, there are a regular season games where if a line moves a point or even half a point, that could be the difference between betting one side or betting the other, or certainly between making a play and passing on a game. So for this kind of line movement to still be on board at minus 200 or better might raise some eyebrows, but I like the concept of digging into getting the best of the number, but not totally being set on that when it comes to ignoring perhaps bettable numbers, even if you have missed the best of the number. So to that end, how would you describe your point of view? You touched on it earlier a bit in a draft betting marketplace, conceding VIG and maybe sometimes taking a worse price in exchange for a higher degree of certainty. Yeah, the draft's completely different. Last year, there was some guys that I was betting on Tuesday at, plus 200 to go in the first round and on Wednesday it was plus 110 and I'm telling everybody bet it bet it bet it and then by the time uh, the draft came it was like minus 180 and before post I'm saying we want more keep betting minus 180 so the draft's completely different with, with as far as value there could be plays that they, they could be priced at minus 110 that you honestly think that your info or research on it makes it good up to minus 300, 400. It's not unheard of. So if you think that you have a solid look, I'm definitely I'm not as worried about VIG as I wouldn't be normally under under circumstances during the regular season because the edge is just that much bigger. When it comes to solid looks, I know we've talked about the top of the board, a few key positions and related prop betting opportunities for people anywhere in there or perhaps beyond the areas that we've touched on so far. I want to keep this as process driven as possible, but I'd be remiss to have you on and not ask if there is anything that stands out considering potential best bets at currently available prices. Hitman, does anything stand out as we're now at least almost within a week of the draft and we at least have access to more than who's going to go first overall? Um, it, it sucks just cause I'm, I'm looking at my list now and just like everything is moved. So, I mean, it's, it's tough. Um, I think that maybe like a strong lean that, it, um, over five and a half offensive linemen in the minus two ten ish range is pretty widely available. I, I, I could, I, I bet it at some better prices at minus 150. Am I adding more minus 210 right now? No, I'm not. But theoretically, I could see myself adding more to that by the time the draft comes along. Um, obviously, you have the big four tackles. I could see Harrison going in round one. I could see Joe Tipman going in round one. And then there's a few other guys that maybe have a chance, like Osiris Torrance and um, a few others. So I think – if like a force play right now would be over five and a half offensive linemen in the minus two ten range, but it's some I haven't not betted at that price, but I would not be stunned if it does end up becoming a play of mine um, a little later. All right, I'll be sure to put a pin in that one, and then before we move on from 
talking some best bets. I would also like to weave in one of my core principles. I touched on a couple of them in last week's episode and, and want to pepper in one or two over the course of this plug and play draft betting series, as I've dubbed it here. Related to your bet on Witherspoon first cornerback up to minus 200, it's, it's been steamed that high at some books. If we see some more steam, I think I'd like to underscore that it doesn't mean somebody's missed the boat altogether necessarily, because when we're looking at a guy like Witherspoon, first cornerback to be selected is not the only option at a lot of books. There are related markets that could be slow to react if he gets steamed further. And one of the keys to betting the draft is to try to expand the attack surface wherever possible, especially in a year like this where it has been such a scarce marketplace. And to give an example on this Witherspoon bet and expanding the attack surface, it's almost a lock that the first cornerback drafted is going to be Witherspoon or Christian Gonzalez. And if we're looking at Witherspoon at minus 200, last week, one of my offshores posted Witherspoon versus Gonzalez head-to-head who goes first, and Witherspoon was priced at minus 140. So that's basically getting in at the same concept for a superior price. And this wasn't a one-time deal. You touched on Quay Walker. Last year, I was traveling shortly before the draft on the day that he got steamed. It seemed like his over-under in the blink of an eye went from the 30s well into the 20s. And as an alternative, one of my books had, will he go in the first round? Yes or no. For basically the same VIG as his over-under that had fallen into the 20s. So again, superior price point. First round is basically over-under 32.5 most years. This year, that would be 31.5. The Dolphins have forfeited a pick. But, but still, there are ways to lay similar VIG and get down at you know, much better concepts or to play similar concepts at much better prices. Are there any examples like that that you've come across in this draft betting cycle or that maybe if you haven't come across them yet, anything you're keeping on the radar as we have about a week and a half until draft day comes? No, not yet. But like just to add on to that point, like let's say word comes out about like a particular offensive lineman that, oh, he's probably going to go first round then there's different ways to attack it. Like you said, there could be a market on that specific player and over under, there could be a, will this player go in round one? There could be over under offensive linemen to go in the first round. There could be over under certain players from a certain conference to go over. There's, there's a lot of ways to attack it, as you mentioned. All right. Always appreciate it when you can agree with uh, some of what I say and then add on a lot of nuance. I hadn't even thought about conferences and things like that, but definitely a lot of good food for thought is this betting marketplace should only bring us more offerings in the week and change to come. Hitman, final draft betting question. Moving on from current prices, is there anything that you haven't put in your portfolio yet, but you're monitoring particularly closely to potentially pull the trigger on between now and draft day? Uh, the quarterback stuff, particularly uh, in particular, Anthony Richardson is what I've been monitoring. Um, I mean, it seems like you hear a lot about Levis and you hear a lot about Stroud after Bryce Young, but there hasn't been a lot of Richardson stuff. Um, you know, I'll give somebody this. If anybody's listening with a Bet365 account, because they don't let me bet much, um, Anthony Richardson over three and a half is like minus 220 there. As we speak, um, that's a really good bet. His, his over/under on other places is actually four and a half at even more vague. So you're getting that free draft slot, which is incredibly big, uh, and you're getting the same vague, if not less vague. So if anybody has access to that, go ahead and beat them up on it. But um, yeah, that would be. I'm, I'm definitely monitoring the uh, Anthony Richardson four and a half market. All right, and. 
to your point, three and a half for those with bet 365. So we'll see how long that lasts. Maybe by the time we're done talking hops, that'll already have moved a little bit. But Hitman, let's not close things up without weaving in the hops. And I would like to bring in the notion that it's not always just the drink itself that one might enjoy, but time and place can be everything. And to that end, it's been a couple months since we last connected on this show. How would you describe your best overall drinking experience this offseason? Um, it was probably I, I got married in Key West and um, at the end of March. And um, like Duval Street, if anybody's ever been there, like Duval Street is just absolutely insane. Like I was I was sick for days after my wedding because it was just nonstop drinking from like Wednesday until Monday, it was just nonstop. And Duval Street is just, it's just wild. Like there's, there's, there's gotta be more bars in that street or city than almost any place in the country. So that was pretty wild. Um, did a lot of stuff there, like booze cruises, a lot of fun stuff. And then, um, what was pretty fun is, uh, two players from one of the, uh, Florida NFL teams, and one of them is one of the best players at his position in the NFL. He plays for one of the Florida teams. I don't want to mention them because I was just saying to you that I told them when I was hanging out with them, hey, I won't associate you guys with a gambler and get you guys in trouble. So I won't mention them by name. But um, they they hung out with us. We ran into them on Thursday, and they almost came to the wedding. But they, they couldn't make – they ended up backing out last minute. But they, um, they did come to the after party and everything. And we had a great time with them. Um, just drinking a lot. I'm picking their brain on some of the stuff that's going on with their team and all, all that. So that was a lot of fun for sure. And that was definitely, it made a, obviously something your wedding you're going to remember forever and have like a hundred people come visit you and, and for a destination wedding was amazing. And all the drinking that goes along with that. It was a ton of fun, but to like have two NFL players when I'm an NFL pro gambler, um, hanging out with you for hours, drinking that, that was a lot of fun. So that would probably be it. Sounds pretty unforgettable. And I said, it's not just the drink, but time and place, I guess time and place and people, if I can add on to that. And I'll just keep my fingers crossed that we don't see any headlines in the near term future about two Florida based NFL players suddenly being suspended for a season. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll leave that. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's by the way, it's not Calvin. It's not Calvin Ridley. If anybody was, <laughs> was thinking that it was not Calvin Ridley. So it was a prominent star player, but it was not Calvin Ridley. So no association with gamblers with her for Calvin, at least when it comes to me. There we go. Well, I'll go ahead and associate you with a legendary gambler and weave in the Malinsky minute as we round the corner here. Dave had such a commitment to the craft, and I recall football weekends during the fall, he had a routine where he wouldn't leave his house from Friday afternoon until Monday morning. To him, this was sacred time to really embrace the grind. And I think there's a connection between that in my mind and your decision to skip Bet Bash 3 this August. Unfortunate for me, I will not see you there in Vegas, but that's because you'll be betting preseason football from New Jersey. So I'm wondering if you could outline how difficult or not that decision was for you and how you go about your commitment to the craft, especially once betting opportunities pick up and how you have to really make conscious decisions about what you want to devote to betting versus what you can afford to devote to the rest of your life during a big chunk of the year. Yeah, I mean, it sucks because... 
Obviously, you get a lot of connections through there that can help make you money. You can get new accounts, you can meet new partners, just people you trade information with. It's a good event, and it's definitely it, it's worth. It, the admission gets paid for essentially. If you just meet one person that can help you make a few bucks, it pays for the admission easily. So, I mean, it's a shame. I, I still might send. Maybe I'll send a partner of mine. To, to represent me at that fast, try to get us some accounts or, or something like that. But um, yeah, I couldn't make it because preseason, it, that's my biggest edge of the year. It goes draft one and preseasons too. Now preseasons can have a little bit more variance because it's, it's just three weeks. And it, I mean, I could have a losing preseason. Whereas, whereas if I had a losing draft, I'd be pretty stunned. I could easily have a losing preseason, but it's definitely, it's one of my bigger edges. I consider myself to be one of the better preseason betters that's out there. So for me, it's just a tough time to, to not, and you got to be locked in as far as following news, staying ahead of line moves, all that when it comes to preseason. That's probably my second busiest time of the year with, with the draft week being the busiest. So it's, it's a shame, but Maybe I'll have someone there um, representing me. And um, I know it'll be a good time for everybody else. And uh, I'll definitely be there for hopefully Bet Bash 4. Well, as far as Bet Bash 3 is concerned, if you can't send somebody, or, or even if you can, I will throw out there, you've got my number. I will be at a casino in Vegas that's known to take some big limits. So if you need some more action on anything preseason related, I will be just a text message away. So feel free to keep that in mind as uh, maybe you won't be there in person, but there in spirit. Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. Well, Hitman, one of the best preseason betters there is, one of the best draft betters there is. Thank you for coming back on the show. I want to make sure everybody knows who's not doing so already to go ahead and follow you on Twitter at Hitman428. And Hitman, it's been great catching up. Is there anything I've missed or anything else you'd like to add? No, not, not much. Just, um, yeah, back to the grind with the draft. So it's going to be a busy week up until uh, next Thursday and then going to have some downtime. So that's it. All right. We'll appreciate your dedication to the craft and your willingness to come on the show and share some of that insight with us. Thank you once again, Hitman. And to the audience, thank you for tuning in. Still one episode to go on this plug and play NFL draft betting series. So I will catch you next week for the finale of that series right back here on Props and Hops. Props and hops and